0: This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab for Saturday, October 12th, 2019. And we want to welcome everybody in the audience and also our special guest. Can you believe it, uh, Dornell, I have been told that I needed to slow down my announcer voice just a touch uh,
1: so it'll be more legible. Legible? Are we having trouble with closed captioning on the show? (laughs) Audible. Audible. That's what it, it, it was. Hey, I believe it. It's tough for me, especially after I've had a couple of cups of tea in the morning to slow it down and speak at a normal person's pace. Oh, so you don't have any problems listening to it because you're all hyped up anyway. You're all drugged up anyway. That's right. When we do the geek gab on Saturday morning my time, I am we are on the same frequency. We are both completely buzzed.
0: Okay. Yeah, I get I get really buzzed on water. So if everybody's wondering how I keep up this uh pep how i keep up this excitement how i keep up this electrifying personality it is pure 100 tap water so uh it, it's better than red bull in my humble opinion
1: all right there is something in the tap water in utah then. <laughs> i that must be it
0: so uh I, i'm
1: running through my head what we usually do at the top of the show here and i think i missed how was your week why thank you for asking my week was fine i don't have anything special or crazy that happened Uh, i i got to do one of my favorite things in my hobby and uh, there was a group of people who wanted to learn how to play a board game uh, that i'm very familiar with and so i volunteered to meet up with a few co-workers after work and i taught them all how to play scythe it was uh it was a three-hour game but we all got through it and everybody had a really good time and everybody. And, and so that was one of the highlights of my week. I really enjoy uh, learning new games. And I also really enjoy teaching games to people uh, who are new to them.
0: Uh, well, my week with the same way it always does, I'm on Twitter. I, you know, do work and reading and take notes for a, various The Secret Projects, and then uh, yesterday I decided it would be a good time to perform my annual brain transplant at my computer and completely upgrade my operating system to the
1: new one that just came out. Really? You're an early adopter of the new, it's the new Apple OS, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it came out like
0: three days ago, so I was cautious. I waited three whole days
1: yeah, that's, that's as cautious as you can be. I mean, you got to get the new stuff.
0: And uh, it, it actually went pretty much perfectly with one big, huge exception. And it was a teeny tiny thing that just screwed me over for like six hours on one thing. But it, it, it was a, an important thing to me. All of my music... And all of my playlists and everything like that just disappeared. Oh so like I had the files, but all of the playlists I'd put together, all of the personalized albums, all of my readings, everything was gone. I've been doing this particular one, I've been work I had just it's been 12 years of putting stuff together and playing songs and whatever, and it was all gone. And so Of course, I took six hours to try and get it back. Um, And it turns out the problem wasn't my fault. One file, one specific file was missing its
1: extension. One file is missing an extension and it blew away your whole library. I got it back. I now have
0: my library. <laughs> it meant that the library couldn't be imported because the old library file didn't have the extension.
1: That's absurd. That's, that's not what extensions are supposed to be for.
0: I would have thought so myself, but in fact, I did thought so myself, and that's what lost me six hours. But other than that, everything seems to have worked. I mean, that's why I was
1: trepidatious this morning well, best of luck to you. I, uh, you're you're nuts for for <laughs> only three days after release, uh, installing a new OS. I was thinking to myself, man, I just installed my new OS yesterday. I'm about to do a
0: geek gab show. I hope this doesn't pop up on the air in some kind of funny yet disastrous way and make it impossible for us to do the show.
1: Luckily for you, we had a different technical uh, issue. So so. Our quote of technical difficulties were met, and and it was it's sort of quantum technical difficulties. We don't know what type of technical difficulty we're going to have until the show begins. Uh, which was which was of course our our guest's mic was a little low, and that was it. All we had to do is have a little mic problem, and that uh, that preserved your operating system. Your your computer's fully usable now because of that.
0: Here's the thing, too. They had to, uh, they instituted some new stuff on the computer. Um, I don't want to say this, but I like the technical detail. Everything in the OS that's never supposed to change during normal operation, that's only supposed to be altered when you're upgrading, is now on its own separate partition that the user can't see most of the time. That's got a lot of security locking it down so nothing can get in there and fucks with it. I just like that. That's kind of exciting to me. It's a little bit of extra added security. So they had to do some funky stuff to repartition everything where all your data files are on that hard drive. That could easily go wrong, but it went perfectly, absolutely seamless.
1: I guess so just lucky. Good for you. One little error though. I'm going to we're going to jump back to the game discussion for a second. We're hanging out with Alfred uh, Guinnessen in chat. And he says he doesn't have uh, he, he never gets to play Scythe because he only has two players. Um, the Stonemeyer Games came out with earlier this year a modular board for Scythe. And it uses a uh, big cardboard mega hexes where you can block off other parts of the map or construct a new map to play with i highly recommend it if you only have two or three players around get that modular board i may try and find the link for you guys later uh get the modular board i've tried it with three player games and it's beautiful uh uh, for those of you who do not know don't play scythe Uh, scythe is a large board and if you play with fewer than four people there's a lot of empty space and so uh, a player who's sort of left alone on one side of the map can have a huge advantage they don't have anybody disrupting their plans so i highly recommend the modular board Uh, i haven't tried it with two but with three players it's really good so we have a guest we sure do uh you 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 know uh, T.C. McCarthy much better than I do. Why don't you do a proper introduction for the man? Um,
0: well, T.C. McCarthy uh, is a science fiction and fantasy author. He is also um, – his new book is just out through, I believe, Bain Books. I'm afraid now.
1: See? Bain M- Books is correct. <laughs> I was doing all my research ahead of time. <laughs> hey welcome (laughs) to the show (laughs) tc feel free to jump in anytime it's all good (laughs) no you got it you got it i'll keep listening this is great (laughs) um anyways uh he
0: made uh three uh well-received novels uh germline chimera and exogene Uh, it's a trilogy and uh they all revolve around bio science fiction um and then he uh released a military sf novel um just recently but like july was that right yeah
2: that's right yeah july of this year
0: um i mean i also did research but my research was like three days ago so i'm not i am not as sanguine and i got to read this from your amazon page tc mccarthy is a phd scientist a fulbright fellow and a howard hughes biomedical research scholar So when he writes bio science fiction, he knows whereof he speaks.
2: (laughs) That's a great. This is one of the best introductions that I've ever heard. Keep going,
1: please. (laughs) (laughs) So I Um, I I, I, I notice you've got a got a YouTube channel. So so write that down for your next video. Like I'm shit. I'm going to say that about myself. Holy cow.
0: But no, GermLine sounded really fascinating. Um, a secret military program uh, to—I uh, just—I read all the books: GermLine, uh, Exogene and Chimera, and they all sounded really fascinating.
2: You know, it's funny. Like GermLine was was probably. Um the favorite my most favorite book that i've written so far i'd say is germline i like my new series don't get me wrong but that was kind of like um the baby that finally got noticed and and made it and so it's
1: it's got a special place with me for sure i i guess i i get the impression before we start tc you should know that i don't read uh, for fun, <laughs> oh, okay. You you qualified that statement. Okay, good. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I am capable. I am. I. I. Ca- I am capable of reading at a very high level. I just yeah. choose not to.
0: He, he's the only coder. He's the only uh, computer uh, tech wizard who doesn't read. They have to have somebody stand at his computer and sound out all the computer commands so he can write his code. <laughs> <orally>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh guys, can somebody read me the man page for printf? <laughs> yeah, I so I don't uh I have not read any of your stuff. I'm getting the impression from the name and and your background that it's sort of like a biological warfare thriller is that is that what germline is?
2: Uh yeah, it really is. It's kind of like um the way that it was originally born in my mind was through this ongoing dialogue i have in my head and let let me make make it clear i'm not crazy uh but i do sometimes sit there and think about things that are military in nature and one of the things i always contemplate is you know we've had this quote-unquote war or multiple wars going on for so long now what um what would it look like a if if we had a, a peer-to-peer conflict somebody who wasn't you know, uh, a terrorist network or something, but one of our old adversaries, Russia and maybe China. And uh, what would, you know, in the near future, what would that war look like, given the kind of current advances we see in, in
1: biotech, in man-machine interface, those sorts of things? And that's one of the things that that's fascinating. And I, I absolutely have to read this now, because one of the things that really bothers me about our potential future is all the research that's being put in uh, especially in over in china with genetics
2: oh yeah i i couldn't agree more they have and the other thing to consider with china is look one of the reasons there are probably multiple reasons but one of the big reasons my books don't get made into movies and will never get made into movies as long as i'm alive is i am hyper critical of of china of the chinese government and uh if you look at what they do in terms of you know, organ harvesting, uh, crackdown on different uh, kinds of freedoms. They um, they they have a different set of ethics over there. And there are times when I'm sitting here contemplating the future, and I and I go to a dark place and think, you know, the Chinese are going to be the first ones uh, to go negative in terms of the use of biotech on the battlefield.
1: Yeah, you know, I I worry that you're right because because right now, and and we're going to get we're going to get deep here, is that it's clear that China's doing what it can to get what resources it can out of Africa. Right. Just as an example. And, and I'm going to get really dark. What if they decide that, that they're tired of dealing with the African people and well, you know, they could, they could design a custom virus that only affects sub-Saharan Africans and, you know, Oh, let's just wipe out all the population in this area and we'll just take all the, You know We'll mine it all ourselves, or we'll take it over ourselves, that sort of thing. That's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead.
0: You know what's awesome about science fiction is that science fiction authors can write big, detailed stories or make great movies predicting these things in detail. And then like 10 or 20 years later or 30 or 40 years later, they'll be proven exactly right. And what's the most awesome thing about that is nobody listened all these horrible things happen exactly as sci-fi authors predicted or warned about and nobody listened and nobody's prepared for it and you're like man
2: i've got to be a cassandra that's awesome <laughs> well that's it's funny you mentioned that because in germline which was let's see 2011 um in germline one of the things i predicted was that look at all the the kind of uh uh, things going on in terms of automated combat systems, drones, whether they're undersea, on, on top of the ground, or uh, airborne. Uh, it, it basically, when I when I kind of projected 100 years into the future, I started to realize, you know what, everybody's going to be fighting underground. If, if we're going to have foot soldiers, above ground is going to be so inhospitable. And we're not talking about use of nuclear weapons. We're just talking about automated kind of ai driven type platforms that are going to make it impossible for anyone to survive for long above ground and you already see this in cases like the korean war for example north korea has learned to put everything underground in tunnels uh deep and um and so germline takes place largely underground and um and i've totally just launched my train of oh i know um <laughs> dw you were talking about um Predicting the future. Well now, just recently in the past year, if you go and Google underground warfare, the Air Force, the director of Defense Intelligence Agency, all of them now are coming forward and saying the future of warfare is going to be underground. So uh I sent several emails to them and letters hoping that they would come get me to get me to come and talk to them and unfortunately I got no response. So you can be prophetic and uh the other thing that's gonna happen is nobody's gonna give you credit. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's uh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> I've got the, I've got the, I'm showing the cover here. That's that's pretty cool. I like um, the covers to all his books.
0: His his three book covers, uh, for Germline, Exogene and so forth. Uh, I loved all three of them.
1: Hey, thanks. Well, I I love talking about this stuff. I know you've got new books to talk about too and everything. And I want to talk about all the covers because, that's sort of the thing that it's it's so important to get the book sold is have a really good cover so I always love to talk to our guests about what uh, like where did you get the idea for the art or, or did you commission somebody or did you have a publisher look into it can you tell us more about the the cover
2: yeah absolutely I can tell you a lot about the publishing industry now that I'm no longer with Orbit Books <laughs> so I got published um, my first trilogy was with one of the at the time big six I think there are only five major publishers now but uh, it was quite a, an accomplishment. It was, it was quite an honor to be picked up by Orbit Books. And so um, I was very excited, and I'm still grateful to the oppor- for the opportunity that they gave me. But it was also quite a, an awakening to the publishing industry when I get in there and expect to have some input into different kinds of things like art direction, et cetera. Now, once once a big publisher like Orbit Books pays you if you're a new author like me, uh, then, then it's basically thank you very much. We'll make all the decisions from here on out with respect to uh, even something as as small as title. We went back and forth on the title several times until we finally went back to what I had originally recommended, which was Germline for the first book. Uh, so, it, you know, new authors um, really don't have that much say in terms of those kinds of decisions because, let's face it, the publisher is the one putting up all the financial risk. And so uh, it's only it's only authors like Stephen King and Big, you know, John Grisham, who would uh, potentially have have the kind of clout where they can actually call the shots when it comes to artwork and cover uh, cover design, et cetera. Um,
0: I I was kind of interested um, because I saw you had published those three books in like 2011, 2012, and then you had like a six or seven year gap. Before you, uh, before you published um, Tiger Burning?
2: Yeah, so um, that's an interesting story. Uh, certainly interesting to me. Uh, it was a kind of a, a good and bad type situation where uh, at the end of my third book, uh, 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 Chimera, the, um, the sales on those, I did really well for an author out of the gate, but I would never became a New York Times bestseller, etc. And in this day and age, when you're with the big publishers, if you're not becoming a bestseller, they tend to lean towards just cutting you loose. And so I knew that was one of the things that I might potentially be facing. And um, I started writing uh, children's novels. I started writing, I wrote a literary novel, and I started sending those out. None of them bit. So um, I was writing during that time period, but just nothing I was writing was really was really getting picked up. And I'll tell you another thing that happened during that time period is that um, I got really sick of the political situation going on in science fiction publishing specifically. But it's not just limited to that. If you look at publishing in general, and I, I hate to get political on you guys. Stop me if this is um, um, getting in, a, in an area where, that you guys like to avoid. But publishing is is ultra liberal in terms of its politics, and I am not. I'm not liberal, and um, and I'm not one also to keep my mouth shut, and so uh, I don't know if you guys remember the whole uh, sad puppies kind of thing that went on, starting with Larry Correa, and um, and then going into Sad Puppies two and three. I saw in Larry Correa, and heard in his story, a direct reflection of my experience first breaking into the publishing world, and so I reached a point where uh, my public, my um, editor, not my editor, my um, agent was urging me to keep my mouth shut and i just reached a point where i was like you know what f you i'm not going to keep my mouth shut and i spoke up and um uh i have no regrets about speaking up i knew go i knew full well if i spoke up in support of larry coray and sad puppies that i would be ostracized and uh uh basically viewed as some sort of uh you know lesser being and that was exactly what happened so there was a lot going on in that time period that all of which resulted in uh my having to find uh, a different publisher if I wanted to publish science fiction, and thank God, Bain Books exists.
1: Yeah, I well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that Bain was able to bail you out. We've got we're very familiar with Sad Puppies. Daddy, Daddy Warpig uh, became the most evil man on Twitter for for daring to to bridge. The graph between GamerGate and uh, and Sad Puppies, and that was a very entertaining time here on the show. I was
2: there. I was on Twitter, like engaged. That was awesome.
1: <laughs> I
0: got the uh, 15 minutes of hate for uh, or two minute hate lasted two weeks. That was that was just cool. <laughs> I wasn't even upset, man. That was just awesome. I got written up in Wired. I got written up in like ladies' magazines.
2: Oh my I god, it. I remember that. Yeah, they were coming after you. They were coming after Correa in those in those magazines. I had totally forgotten about that.
0: Yeah, that was cool. I'm not even I'm not even complaining about that. That was just funny. That you know, they picked one guy to <laughs> blame everything for until they realized they could blame vox day so (laughs) oh yeah vox day is a much much
1: easier target (laughs) than daddy warping
2: (laughs) and you know what kills me about that looking back on that and everything is just the um i don't know why i'm surprised but it just shocks me when i see you know people on the left just outright lie about people like dw about people like um John De La Ross, uh, you know, the list goes on. Larry Correa, Sarah, um, Sarah, is it Sarah Hoyt? I've forgotten her last name now. Um, whatever. Yes, that's right. Sarah Hoyt. The, the lies, they, they just don't
1: stop. It is it is incredible. I think uh, we've seen lies from from people on both sides of, of the spectrum, and we generally avoid talking direct politics, but it's unavoidable when you when you talk about the publishing industry, industry and and puppies and Vox a and everything like that. You can see when someone has decided that a person or group of people are bad, and then truth doesn't matter or anything like that. All that matters is is. Uh, believing anything that anybody says about them and repeating those lies and that sort of thing. It's really strange.
2: It really is. And, you know, it's funny, like my introduction to the political scene in terms of science fiction publishing, I'm not going to name names, but Germline was getting a lot of buzz. And uh, it was written up in Wired. It was written up in um, a number of science fiction magazines. People were talking about it. And uh, my initial sales were starting to really take off. Well, there are some individuals in the um, in the publishing industry who feel it's their job to kind of somehow, I don't know what the right word is, cultivate the proper people to go on and win Hugos and Nebulas, right? And so I stumbled on a Twitter conversation between two very prominent people in the science fiction industry talking about how uh, my book was misogynistic uh how it was anti it was anti this anti that and then what shocked me is that in one of the tweets one of them one of the members said you know what i haven't even read the books and and i just feel like i have to speak out (laughs) 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 and i just looked at that and i thought oh my god this is what i'm up against now back then we didn't have the kind of uh at, at some point maybe it was larry correa i don't know how at some point People um, who were on the receiving end of that kind of treatment, you know, we were alone. We it was a very it was a very kind of uh, scary time because I was looking at my writing career, wondering, is this dead before I even start? But then uh, eventually, thanks for me, it was Larry Correa. I, I started to see, hey, you know what? No, I'm not the only one being treated this way. There are other people, lots of other people, uh, who aren't even conservative. They might just have no political view whatsoever, but for whatever reason. And I think it. I think it doesn't even boil down to politics. I think it boils down to financial uh, and power games. Um, you know, they're they're basically just given the
1: shaft. It's. I mean, this is really a lot of people cringe at this stuff, but it really is part of a broader culture war. Uh, in, in 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 you could look at it as a cold war, uh, a cold civil war. The they have absolutely no problem with isolating people who who are wrong thinkers or or you know they don't support whatever it is whatever the whatever the good things are to support that year right and they've got absolutely no problem trying to deny you credit uh revenue uh, just uh, oh just a way of life uh, they don't mind at All trying to deny you the ability to feed yourself and your family Uh, that's that's one of the peep and of course we're hanging out on the internet we're talking about this sort of thing we've seen it happen over the past few years most normal people don't see that and they don't really get what is happening in in these you know these corners of our our culture and it's it's kind of disturbing Oh, it is. You're absolutely right. They don't get it. And,
2: you know, fans, people who I want to attract to my books, um, thank God they don't get it. Right. I mean, they're not, these are people who, the people like you and me who eat, breathe and live this stuff, you know, DW, you, John, um, Larry, everybody, um, we get it. We're submerged in it. It it, is sometimes it gets more toxic than, than is probably healthy. And I have to step away for a while, but, um, the general person, the general reader out there who I'm trying to reach, on, on the one hand, thank God they don't get it because I don't want them to, to be paying attention to every little detail, um, you know, that's coming out of the mouths of certain people in the industry. On the other hand, um, it would be nice uh, for there to be some kind of recognition from adults in the universe that, hey, man, you know... The- something's wrong with this entire publishing industry because it's really, really, you know, it it seems to be really one-dimensional at this point, but that'll never happen in my lifetime, and that's okay, you know. Look, we've got Bain Books, we've got other publishers who are willing to to go out there and do things, we've got indie publishers or indie writers out there going out, writing um, no matter what, and you look at the way they're treated by the same kind of um, entrenched uh, interests in publishing and it just becomes clear. You know what I said earlier is absolutely true It's not about politics. It's not it's about the, the nebula and Hugo equal dollar signs and by God They're gonna they're gonna control it any way they can I see the same kind of um, make no mistake They've targeted the dragon, right? They have targeted the dragon and I expect to see uh, Big publishing start to kind of figure out. How do we take that award too. that's 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 in the future? I'm sure
1: i agree i what 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 else what else is going to happen they're going to whenever the money is going to be they're going to go chase it and they don't care uh they'll they'll use whatever's at their disposal to deny you any of that and and get as much as they can
2: man i've taken us to a really negative place i apologize
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is the new dark stream (laughs) Um, I have four dogs I like puppies (laughs) dogs are wonderful (laughs) Uh,
0: no I do have a question though Um, it seemed like reading the description for Tiger Burning that it was a a bit different from your first three sci-fi military sci-fi novels Um, and and this is just what I got from the blurb, so I may have, you know, there may be parts of this that are a little bit, uh, you know, too uh, summarized, but it's about humanity, got in a fight with the aliens, the aliens left, and they said, we're going for now, but uh, we're going to be back to kill everybody, Uh, and then humanity's waiting for them to come back and preparing in the meantime.
2: Yeah, so this is—you're right. It is completely different from my first three books. The first three are really, really kind of, um, you know, like you, like you described them—biotech, military, science fiction. This one is has more of almost a, a space opera kind of classic s- science fiction feel to it. And um, I had to mute because that Diet Coke we were discussing <laughs> earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, this is more of a, uh, hey, you know, uh, let's take a look at the, the alien invasion kind of, uh, trope with, uh, with a twist on it. And that is that the aliens in this case, war is a religion to them. It, it, it's their faith. And they, um, they essentially test humanity the same way that they test every other race that they encounter. And it's with a test of courage. And so you get this one schlub who, who basically leaves Earth to go serve as a, a kind of supply logistics type guy, lugging material from the from the from um, the behind the lines to the front lines of this alien war on this alien planet. And the, um, the aliens in this case are called the Soman. And the SoMen basically have this test where, as soon as you, as soon as you do certain number of supply runs, you get to have a choice. You can either become this kind of supply guru and have all the, you know, slaves that you want, all the all the income that you want, be rich, wealthy, comfortable, or you can go back home and give it all up. And in this case, the, the guy who um, who is from Earth just decides, you know what? I miss my girlfriend, I miss my family, I miss Earth food. I'm gonna go home and the aliens mistake that for uh, you know him giving them the middle finger and saying you know no we're gonna fight you and well they don't mistake it but they kind of do and um, and so that in their in their religion and their faith that result to the test means aha this race humanity is worth fighting we're going to give them all of our technology all of our history all of our everything and in a hundred years we're going to come back to their planet earth and we're going to fight them fair and so that's where <laughs> that's where the story you know kind of um starts is humanity is a hundred years to get ready for their return and uh and they have to start moving fast
1: that's a funny setup that and and that's a definite twist on the usual alien invasion thing, where it's usually a one-sided war. You know, they're they're this horrible creatures, but you make it sound like it's a, a alien race of of honorable samurai who who we want to have a fair fight. Exactly, exactly. Only as the as the thing shows, it looks like robot insect samurai.
2: That is an interesting kind of um, side thing going on. You know, I mentioned earlier, well, it's probably clear to anyone listening, I'm kind of a political guy. Um, and uh, when I look at uh, what's going on today, especially, I see a lot of warning signs in terms of the Chinese government. Now, don't get me wrong. The Chinese people are, are lovely. I, I am not talking about Chinese people in general. I'm talking specifically about the Com government that we've got right now and that we've had for quite some time ever since Mao and there's a side kind of um subplot going on in um in the universe where this all takes place and as humanity is getting ready to prepare for these uh, for these invaders the chinese have essentially given up their humanity and they have fully merged with machine so what you wind up with is more of this biotech kind of uh future looking that i that i love to do and what would happen if the chinese government decided that hey Why don't we just start breeding people to interface with machines uh the human brain is you know in this in this universe we we've discovered ai but it to to avoid it taking over they don't go all the way so these computers are these things called semi-aware really really smart not strictly ai in in the sense that maybe we all think of in terms of the singularity Uh, but when you merge these semi-aware systems with you know some portion of a human brain, you get enough randomness introduced into the system plus enough human human control. The Chinese are comfortable with it, and so that's what you're seeing on the cover here. Is essentially this this Chinese cyborg um, that the main characters encounter and have to fight on a regular basis.
1: Uh, that's a pretty rad idea. Uh, that's that's another sort of a, a germ of an idea that that I would like to explore or or hear you or read you explore just the concept i got out of that is that so the aliens have delivered all of this knowledge and and technology so what would the different peoples of Earth do with that? What would it look like? What would would the American implementation of that technology look like? What would the the French implementation look like? What would the Chinese implementation look like?
2: Well, and I'll tell you, in terms of this alien religion, they're purists. So the Soman, the aliens, the Soman, they don't Do any kind of machine augmentation or anything like that when they go into combat they they do wear armor they do carry weapons uh they take risks though it's it's part of their system of honor you 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 basically have to be you know who you are genetically that that's kind of ingrained in their faith and so the chinese got none of the technology they look at the chinese as an abomination The way that they've abandoned their original kind of um, genetic construct in favor of this hybrid machine uh, organic kind of life and so there's there's an element of um uh fear in terms of these and it's not just it's not just america it's it's a it's a group that that i refer to as the allies where it's a lot of the um the uh southeast asian countries uh pacific islanders america european countries They've banded together to, uh, you know, to stay human and to adopt themselves to prepare for the fight. And so you wind up with this this fear on the, on the part of the Allies of what happens if the Chinese keep going this way? Hell, the Soman may return and lump us in with them and just destroy us all, right? So you, the, the kind of idea is for Tiger Burning. How do we get on this pathway of developing technology to prepare, but also deal with the, the threat of what the Chinese are doing uh, on Earth?
1: Muted myself for a second. Sorry. That's... <laughs> See, after, after last week, I'm kind of scared.
0: Like every time the microphone goes out or I don't hear any response or anything, I'm like, oh, no.
1: Did I get kicked out again. <laughs> Paranoid now. No, you're you are still here with us, D Dub. So I have got to ask with with that set up. Maybe I'm just not a space opera guy. Uh, but what I really want is is I want to, to read all of the cyberpunk novels that you're going to write for that hundred years as the as the crazy technology develops and and the Chinese figure out how to turn themselves into cyborgs. That's that sounds exactly- pretty rad.
2: That is exactly Tiger Burning. Somebody else referred to it as cyberpunk. It, it definitely has a
1: cyberpunk feel to it, for sure. Well, I mean, yeah, if you've got if you got something like a third of humanity deciding that it would be rad to, you know, why don't we just merge physically with this, with with these cool technology and turn ourselves into into super people? That's that's as cyberpunk as it gets, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I got to tell you, like I. Is it Neal Stephenson who, who was kind of the, the originator of cyberpunk? I can't believe I'm, I'm asking this because I can't remember. But give me a break. I'm More, old. Or <laughs> More or
1: less. More or less.
2: And I'll tell you, like, his his books, I mean, I, I never got into them. Uh, but the concept was just brilliant. I have to concede, man. That guy, um, just brilli- a brilliant idea. Um, and am I stealing from him? Uh, you bet I am. Absolutely.
1: Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Um, he was Neil Stevenson, especially in Snow Crash. That was a lot more about the uh, the potential modifications to the brain. Of course, the whole the whole thing about uh, uh, what do they call it the ER uh, programming or oh, I'm forgetting the words that he used. But yeah, basically, uh, mental programming using uh, special words and language and and technological upgrades
2: and that stuff is really hard to conceive of too for somebody who's not in the industry it would probably be easier for you to conceive of what it's going to look like than me um but uh it, it just means that i have to do a lot more reading and kind of studying of of what does this all mean and i you know it's not like i'm i'm a, um, a technophobe but uh i i'm just not around it as as much as you guys probably are
1: well Frankly, and especially in my day to day and my line of work, I I work at a uh, giant uh, tech corp. It's really it's really all about money. <laughs> there's, there's there's a there's a lot of people who are interested in in crazy far-reaching stuff, but for the most part, we're we're trying to make you know, good software products that we can sell to people who can't do this stuff otherwise. And which is sort of, it's sort of, I don't know, that sounds a little sad, but <laughs> uh, unfortunately uh, I, there, there is R and D department. And, uh, but I don't think there are any secret labs where we're working on uh, crazy, crazy stuff. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I'll do? I'll, I'll get a uh, I'll get my top secret clearance. i and I'll I'll find my way into one of those R&D labs at work and then I won't tell you because I can't. No, no, um, it won't I'll and you, you won't be out. able
2: to you won't be able to find it by going for R&D. You've got to look for doors labeled like typewriter repair or That's a, you
1: know <laughs> What what is typewriter repair needed for at Microsoft? Yeah. Oh, I'll just I'll just I'll just forget about it. Just better better not think about things like that. <laughs>
0: All I'm saying is a company that has had this much trouble trying to put together a decent video game machine probably isn't building something that's going to be able to kill the planet. <laughs>
1: you could be right. Yeah. Wow, this coming from the guy who, who loves his <laughs> Xbox. I do. Yeah, I love Xbox, too. <laughs> Wait, there's a new one? Does this mean I have to buy
2: something else? The X- a new one coming out in a year.
1: The oh, Xbox man. 360 was one of the best consoles ever made. Fight me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. <laughs> well, hey, can I uh,
2: can I talk about one other thing that I, I I before I'm looking at the clock and I don't know what is it? An, is this thing go on for an hour or how long we're, do you guys?
1: We're we're going to go as long as we have material for, but if but we usually stop after an hour, and you can bring up anything you want. We well, I mean we've already we've already burst the politics bubble, so screw it yeah (laughs) well
2: i apologize i feel bad now but no i was going to say that um you know uh dw mentioned earlier in terms of science fiction and fantasy one of the things that i've started noticing in the industry too is um and i should say i noticed it a while ago but it's still true today fantasy is huge man like that is a big deal that that is of the two science fiction versus fantasy fantasy is absolutely the more kind of um popular of those two particular sub genres and um um, you know, I'm trying to kind of move in the direction of maybe putting out some urban fantasy in, in the near future. And the first thing that uh, that you all will probably see of it is um, uh, Tony Weisskopf at Bain Books has has greenlit an anthology called, um, I can't remember if there's an actual title for it yet, but it's basically a weird World War Three anthology. And so mm-hmm. it's very much a look at... Um, at in you know what would happen in terms of you know urban fantasy type settings etc uh, with respect to the cold war and world war three and so my story in there kind of is a um, uh, it's weird <laughs> it's a it's a combination of maybe hunter s thompson and uh, apocalypse now Piers anthony and maybe some jim butcher where you've got these special forces guys who are out there Uh, dealing with multidimensional monsters and demons, and the way that they stay anchored to our particular universe is through uh, subjecting themselves voluntarily to syphilis shots and uh, peyote capsules taken on a frequent basis. (laughs) Um, So I'm really proud of that story, and I just just wrote um, Tony a note today saying, you know something? If we decide for whatever reason to take a break from the Tiger Burning series, and and I and I wanna do some fantasy. I think this could could form the foundation of a good kind of urban fantasy series of books as well. So I'm excited about that. That's got that anthology too is like I think like um a lot of big names in that. David Drake's gonna be in that. Mike Resnick, Brad Torgerson. How could we not have mentioned Brad Torgerson? He's awesome. And he's gonna be in that anthology. John Langan, Nick Mamatas, Sarah Hoyt. I'm reading from a list now because I couldn't remember these names if it, if it killed me. Um Sarah Hoyt, Alex spartsman Brian Trent, Martin Shoemaker, Eric James Stone and Stephen Lawson and I think there're going to be others as well. So, um uh, that's another thing that I've got um on the front burner. It'll be coming out I think probably early part of next year, but it should be really really cool.
1: That sounds good. Well, I you know what? We'll definitely have you back when when that's out to talk about that because uh, of 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 the authors I read, which is none. Uh, Jim Jim Butcher is someone that I actually will go out and read a new book that he comes out with. Uh, I, uh, he's
2: so entertaining.
1: Yeah, uh, he's so good, and and you wouldn't you couldn't have paid me to read urban fantasy, uh, right? Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> be, yeah.
1: Before Jim Butcher, uh, but the person who who introduced me to Jim Butcher. Said, okay, look, look. I know you don't really read much, but get this, necromancy, right? He, he's a, he's a wizard in the phone book. Necromancy, and he he raises a dinosaur. Yeah, <laughs> from if, from the museum. And for some
2: like, reason, when I think of D.W., I think of Jim Butcher. Like they seem like the same people. I don't know. D.W., are you are you really Jim Butcher? I don't.
0: <laughs> I'm not really Jim Butcher, but I'm a big Jim Butcher fan.
1: Oh, yeah. he he just kills it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think urban fantasy is an awesome way to go if you want to uh, reach audiences and especially if you like that sort of thing. The you made a really good point cuz cuz we've had kerfluffles on the show and on Twitter about fantasy versus science fiction. And and you made a really good point which is no matter how you categorize it, fantasy is a lot more popular as as a genre or subgenre or if 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 you will when you look at all of science fiction, the stories that have more in common with fantasy stories, you know, the more in common you have with stuff like Lord of the Rings or whatever, uh, is more popular. I think it's absolutely. true. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. I don't think that's a. I think that is that is absolute fact. The way you phrased it.
1: Yeah. That's my job, phrasing things so that they can't be denied. <laughs> yeah. Speak, speaking of fantasy and Jim your Codex Alera is freaking awesome. Uh, Emmett, Emmett, Fritz, Hume is hanging out in the chat. Uh, I I only read the first one, but wasn't that wasn't that book a uh, series written as a dare, like Pokemon plus the Roman Legion, right? Uh, the Lost Roman Legion, wasn't that the the tagline for the book? I don't
2: I don't know. I'm looking at this, going, wow, I have to buy this now. I don't know. D W, do you know?
0: Uh, what happened was, Jim uh, made a statement that it was an argument on a message board, so it was born out of an internet argument. Um, which just boggles the mind. It, it's hard to imagine anything being born out of Twitter. Um, <laughs> but it was born out of internet argument. Jim Butcher said, look, a good writer can make a good story from anything. And the uh, smug guy came back and said anything. Uh, and so Jim actually entered his message with said, pick any two things and a good writer can make uh, something good from it. And the guy said anything. Well, well, uh, so he picks two things, and he says Pokemon and the Lost Roman Legion.
2: <laughs> um, so he couldn't use Pokemon, though, right? Isn't that copyrighted? So did he do like a vague, uh, you know, approximation of Pokemon?
0: He he used uh, he used something completely different, but yet the same. Um, I mean, you're not trying to capture little creatures and in little balls that you throw at other people and you're a trainer and there's gym. So it's completely different from that. But he took the same idea of people bonding with these creatures. They're called Furies. Is that right, John?
1: Yep, Furies.
0: Furies. But what happened is Jim Butcher said, okay, I'll do this. I will prove to you that I can do this. And sat down for like a day or two Wrote up all this stuff, realized, oh, hey, this would be an awesome book. Actually, this would be an awesome series of books. And then, you know, came back and the guy said, see, I told you you couldn't do it because he's not going to write about it in the message post. He's got books to make money off of. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jim Butcher says, yes, yes, you're right. And then goes away and writes books. That's and awesome.
2: Money. That is awesome. I'm buying those now. Yeah, I haven't read any of those.
0: Uh, another good book of his that I'm waiting for the sequels to uh, is The Aeronauts Windless. I think it's one of the best books he's ever written. But it's apparently the first of a trilogy or something like that. Um,
1: All right, So, so TC, you can't do what these guys are doing. You can't just leave trilogies hanging. <laughs> you, you you can't go you can't go butcher, you can't go Rothfuss on us.
2: Until I finish uh, the Tiger Burning series, is that what you're telling me?
1: At at the very least, you got to finish that out. Yeah, I, yeah. I,
2: I think you're right.
0: No, see that was your fault, man. I was complaining about that. Uh John, and you're the one who who convinced me that I needed to needed to be patient, needed to have some empathy for Mr. Butcher because uh like he got married. And so, that was that's a big true. change in his life. And so he spent even just two years, you know, how much a and plus part of that was writing the book. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a real big life change. And then he also moved
1: and, you know, stuff. So yeah, I, I ran out of all empathy for <laughs> other human beings. Well, you, you must
2: really have a grudge against George R. R. Martin, aren't we waiting for something else from him still? Isn't there there another book coming? Uh, I, I'm not
1: I'm not waiting for jack shit from that guy. Are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> I I I got about fifty pages into the first we uh not we love Time, uh the first. The song, yeah, the song of Ice and Fire, the fucking yeah the the uh, game of thrones is the name of the first book i got like 50 pages into that i didn't even i didn't even make it to the infamous uh brother sister scene and i'm like no i don't want to read any of more of this this is trash
2: <laughs> well and what is up with that what is up with this kind of uh what is the phrase that they use the grim dark kind of uh fantasy i i don't think look i know those kinds of books sell uh it's, you you could I, there's no there's no disputing it. I have no desire to write that.
1: Yeah, I, I I think we're we've had enough of it. It's it's been going on at least since the 90s. Uh, uh, it, comics had a lot of grim dark stuff. Uh, TV shows uh, went darker and and stories. I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, I could I could pose a guess. I think a lot of people think that it's interesting. Or, or mature to sort of subvert expectations or watch antiheroes or something like that. It just gets tiresome. Uh, and, and who wants to read about all that negativity all the time? Yeah.
0: The, the theory I saw and that I reposted to Facebook and uh, still gets reposted like a couple of years later um, was uh, that... J.R.R. Tolkien lived through the hell of World War One, with all of the the gruesomeness. Uh, And if you've seen, uh, oh, what is that movie? Dang it! I had to buy it to watch it because I couldn't find a showing anywhere. The World War One movie, John, you went and saw it. Oh, the uh, the reconstruction. They shall not grow old. They shall not grow old. Okay. So if you that was great. Yeah. If you've seen they shall not grow old, you know the kind of things they had to endure, kind of gruesomeness, yada yada yada. So J.R.R. Tolkien lives through that kind of stuff in World War One, and he comes out of it, and he's writing like *The Hobbit*, and he's writing *The Lord of the Rings*, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And he's
0: writing *Smith of Watton Major* and *Farmer Giles of Ham*, and all of these other, all of these other stories, *Leaf by Niggle*.
1: Um, that are not Grimdark.
2: Damn, GW, to... you know a lot about this. Keep going. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, tell me more about this Niggle story. What is that? Leased by Niggle? <laughs> it's Holy about cow! A guy, it's about a guy who
0: spends his entire life trying to make this beautiful painting he's got in his head, um, and every time he gets a little bit of time to work on it, some other disaster happens, and it gets cut back, or the local council comes and takes all his canvas and and pulls to fix somebody's house, and he finally dies, and he hasn't got anything done of this vast forest he imagines in his mind, except one little leaf. But the story doesn't end with his death. Things happen after, and he finally gets somewhere with this. Uh, I'm not going to say any more
1: than that because that's the that's the important yeah. part of the story. Awesome. It's a That's, beautiful that, story. That sounds interesting. And and the lord it's not like the lord of the rings isn't dark, right? There's but, there's a there's a lot of darkness in the lord of the rings, but not in, not in that other stuff. But not as much. Um J <laughs>
0: right G R R M George R R Martin was a draft dodger, a war protester during Vietnam. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't do anything. And what he comes out with is this story where rape is a heavy, heavy theme where it's grim and gruesome. And the only thing that happens is everybody who gets a plan and is going places uh, gets spiked uh, and their plans fail and everything is ugly and people are dying and all of this. Just the ugliest sorts of things you could imagine. So... Someone who came out of war and deprivation and hardship writes beautiful stories, stories of struggle and overcoming struggle where good wins and evil uh, is defeated. Someone who came out of uh, comfort and wealth and uh, you know didn't have to go to war, they write stories where ugliness, is celebrated where there is no good and and everyone is ugly and evil.
2: So, well, and I'll, I'll add one thing, too, in terms of, like, I, I often wonder if, if um, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien had a deep, deep amount of faith in his particular religion, and he and C.S. Lewis, both, I think, C.S. Lewis went through a crisis of faith, and uh, Tolkien was there to, to kind of talk him through it and help him through it. And so c.s lewis went back to his you know original faith etc i don't see any sign of faith in, in george r. r martin but i could be wrong i don't know um
0: so that that's the theory is the people who have gone through hardship and pain and and struggle can write beautiful things because they know what beauty is and they know what pain is and they know what struggle is and the people who haven't who have just been able to coast through life they are obsessed with the horrific with the debased with the debauched because they've never uh, grown they've never had those things um they've never developed their character whatever you want to describe it as that's just you can look at that again and again and again and and see that happen
2: yeah yeah i think that's a it's a it's a theory that uh, seems to be rooted in empirically in what we certainly see.
1: All right. So, so time to get semi-personal TC. How does your writing compare? Do you, uh, are you, you clearly don't like the darkness? You don't like that grim dark stuff, uh, but you deal with dark themes in, okay. in your fiction.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This is, it's interesting because as, as um, DW is talking I was thinking about that particular issue, and you read my first three books. It was during a, a time in my life where um, I had gone through a, a period of, of, let's just call it, loss of faith, right? And uh, you'll notice there's a difference between where I'm going with Tiger Burning and where I went with the uh, the original three books I did Germline, Exegene, and Chimera. The um, uh, Those are dark. Th- those are you know, not as bad as, as the kind of, oops, sorry, I hit mute by accident. (laughs) Those are dark. They're not as bad as the, the GRM kind of, um, uh, you know, direction with his books, but certainly not books that, that were, you know, you've got a hero and it's a message of hope, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now I will say this, there are solid character arcs in my first three books. And there's always a a resolution at the end in terms of things aren't as bad as as the main characters originally thought they, they could be. But certainly not uh, hopeful in the sense that the J.R.R. Tolkien kind of uh, books were. Now, Tiger Burning's a different story. Tiger Burning is a positive message. It's a, it's a message of you've got this, this main character who has many different struggles, Life is not fair to him. He's an immigrant facing a lot of immigrant kinds of problems. But in the end, you know, um, through perseverance and, you know, the decision to to, to basically shoulder the burden he's been given, uh, good things happen. Right. And so um, I don't know. Just hearing hearing DW talk about the, the theory, I'm thinking, man, I've you know, I've lived that theory. That's there could be some truth to that.
1: Well, that's really interesting. Uh, uh, I like to hear that I like to hear about about the journey frankly uh, because I repeat I, I don't really read so I don't really care about the books <laughs> no I don't I don't mean that second part or the first part one of those parts I didn't mean yeah. <laughs> uh, jo- joke as- jokes aside uh, we're running low on time but uh, whatever else you want to talk about we'll talk about what's on your mind TC
2: oh man um, let's see I put a plug in for the for the upcoming anthology that I'm in we've been talking about tiger burning I think my brain is dead now John and dW <laughs> it that
0: usually awesome. happens after about an hour it really does yeah.
2: uh, I looked at the clock maybe that was my the the problem I looked and I saw one hour and I thought oh. <laughs>
1: yeah y- your brain was like yeah I guess it's okay if we stop now it's all right. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll grab another Diet Coke and, and we'll do this again sometime. Uh, awesome. I'd, like to, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. I love talking to new people. I love uh, hearing stuff about authors. Uh, and special thanks to everybody hanging out in the chat. I love talking to you guys live. We talked about Scythe the game and, and all the stuff we were also talking about on the show. I appreciate you guys listening in and thanks to everybody listening live later.
2: And hey, thank you so much uh, for having me, DW and John. This has been a pleasure. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, sure. Uh, I if we had known you wanted to come on, we would have uh, would have invited you earlier.
2: I'm bad at... I, can you tell I'm bad at marketing and the whole business side of, of this little <laughs> venture? <laughs> I didn't bring, John, did I tell you how this happened?
0: What happened? Um, somebody uh, who was a fan of... Uh, TCs. It, as much as he doesn't spend time on Twitter, somebody who's a fan of TCs popped up and said, "Hey, daddy Warpig, why don't you have uh, TC McCarthy on on Geek I'm like, "Sure, if he wants to come on, we'll have him on." I'm, a, you know, that's cool. And like, within the next hour or two, <laughs> <laughs> TC responded and said, "No, oh, I'd love to come on Geek Gab." I'm like, "Well, all right, let's, uh, you know, take a DM." It's so, it's so
2: random. Like, cause I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter and I was sitting there like, I think I had, I had been smoking a big cigar and I was bored and I was like, okay, I'll log on to Twitter and see what I've, you know, what's been going on for the past week or whatever. And there's this message that was,
1: yeah, like you said, about an hour earlier, it was like, oh my
2: God, maybe I can need to spend more time on this thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. And that's, that's a great story for, for folks who are listening. Do you want to hear us gab with somebody in particular, your, your favorite uh, artist or author or whatever? You Just poke them on Twitter. <laughs> Tag Daddy Warpig and you'll get on the show. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Um, well, I personally
0: want to thank everybody. Uh, thank Mr. McCarthy for coming on the show. It was a great show, had a lot of fun. Uh, wish him well with the anthology and with Tiger Burning. Uh, so, everybody, check that out and uh i know they've been out for like seven years and they're old <laughs> but still uh honestly germline chimera uh they all sound like really good books so give them a check them out on amazon they're they're actually uh it looks like they're on sale right now um germline's on sale for four nine uh $3.99. Oh, that's a bargain yeah, exogene. The second one in the series is on sale for one ninety nine. Um, They're out of print too, so
2: get them now. I, yeah. I would get them now.
0: I'm looking at the Kindle editions. So ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I'm I'm a digital media guy. <laughs> People know this. I like carrying eight hundred books in the palm of my hand. Um, <laughs> If people knew my lifestyle, they'd understand. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're uh, they're all available right now, so you can pick them up on the Kindle for a very reasonable prices. Check them out, um, and I want to thank everybody who is listening to the show live, everybody who is uh, participating in chat, doubly especially. I want to thank everybody who will listen to the show later. Uh, As everybody knows, you can catch us on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That's YouTube.com slash GeekGab. Uh, If you are subscribed to the show, if you're not subscribed, subscribe. If you uh, are subscribed, just make sure you are still subscribed because sometimes YouTube plays some funny tricks. And uh, click the bell icon just to uh, get some announcements as to when we're going live and things like that. If you don't want to listen on YouTube, you can listen to us. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on the Google Play Store, on the iTunes Store, or on SoundCloud.com. So you can listen to us on the device of your choice uh, or on the or download it to your computer. Well, uh, we, your hosts, are signing out for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.